Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Welcome everyone to Too Good to Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is mythical creatures. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject, then research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through the research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter and shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names, we apologize, and neither of us have any particular knowledge of ancient cultures or their mythology. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. For mythical creatures, dragons and unicorns immediately come to mind. Let's start with dragons. Smog in the Hobbit movies was pretty impressive. He seemed to have all the attributes a dragon should have, but he was a rather larger than I expected. The treasure he hoarded was very impressive also. Yes, there are dragons in Western culture like smog, but there are also dragons in Eastern culture, notably China. The website China.org draws a distinction. Quote, in all cultures, a dragon combines parts from different animals, such as a snake's body and large, powerful claws. Sometimes it has features such as a strong body covered with scales, a head with horns or ruffles, sharp teeth and a long tail. Most of the Western dragons have wings and breathe fire. Drac means dragon in German. It is derived from Draco in Latin and Dracon in Greek, which both mean snake. In the Western cultures, dragon is regarded as an evil being, 
a destroyer, a transmitter of disasters, making it the enemy of everything, of the, of everything in the world. The dragons are always killed by brave heroes in Western folktales. In Northern Europe and Germanic, Germanic culture, dragon slayer Siegfried is such a hero. In the song of the Nibelungs, an epic poem in Middle High German, he killed a dragon and then bathed in its blood, which rendered him invulnerable. However, the Chinese dragon is an auspicious creature. In the ancient times, the dragon was a symbol of imperial power. Even today, as a magical creature beloved by the people, it still represents wealth, wisdom, success, power, and good fortune. Chinese people proudly claim that they are the descendants of the dragon. The dragon also often appears in the publications of Western media as a symbol of China, unquote. I think we need to discuss separately the dragons from the two different cultures. Let's continue with the Western understanding of the creature. It appears that a Western dragon can be described as a European dragon, according to Wikipedia, as follows. Quote, European dragons are legendary creatures in folklore and mythology among the overlapping cultures of Europe. In both the modern period and ancient period, the European dragon is typically depicted as a large, fire-breathing, scaly horned lizard-like creature. The creature also has leathery bat-like wings, forelegs, and a long, muscular, prehensile tail. Some depictions show dragons with feathered wings, crests, ear frills, fiery manes, ivory spikes running down its spine, and various exotic decorations. In folk tales, dragon's blood often contains unique powers keeping them alive for longer or giving them poisonous or acidic properties. The typical Christian dragon protects a cavern or castle filled with gold and treasure. An evil dragon is often associated with a great hero who tries to slay it, and a good one is said to give support or wise advice. Although a winged creature, the dragon is generally to be found, on its underground, to be found in its underground lair, a cave that identifies it as an ancient creature of the earth." Unquote. A prehensile tail is able to grasp or hold objects. In heraldry, the system that creates coats of arms, the dragon is a valiant defender of treasure, valor, and protection. The boundaries of the City of London, the Square Mile Financial District, have statues of dragons at its borders. Do you have an example of a great hero slaying a dragon? The patron saint of England is St. George, who slayed a dragon. That's about, that's about what we were told growing up. Apparently, St. George is also the patron saint of other countries. The website Folio Magazine outlines the story. Quote, the traditional iconography of George is based on, its mo on his most famous miracle, the killing of the dragon. As narrated in the Golden Legend by Jacobus de Voragine, the event is well known. Selim is besieged by a horrible monster, and to keep it away from the Libyan town, the citizens drew lots to decide whom, whom among the youngest in town to sacrifice to the monster. As the daughter of the king has to be sacrificed, St. George appears riding his horse, and he manages to neutralize the dragon. He then invites the princess to rope the dragon, now domesticated, to lead it into the town. Witnessing this prodigious event, the king and the whole population converted to Christianity, and at the end, the dragon is killed. Unquote. In ancient times, Libya was a vast region in North Africa, west of the Nile. If the dragon actually became domesticated, it seems unnecessary and rather cruel to just kill it. According to the account in Wikipedia, George actually killed the dragon as follows. Quote, the Golden Legend offered a historic, historicized narration of George's encounter with a dragon. This account was very influential, and it remains the most familiar version in English, owing to William Caxton's 15th century translation. In the medieval romances, the land with, with which St. George slew the dragon was called Ascalon, after the Levantine city of Ashkelon, today in Israel. The name Ascalon was used by Winston Churchill for, a personal, for his personal aircraft during World War II, according to records at Bletchley Park. In Sweden, the princess rescued by St. George is held to represent the Kingdom of Sweden, while the dragon represents an invading army. Several sculptures of St. Sculptures of George battling the dragon can be found in Stockholm, the earliest inside Storkirken 
in the old town. Iconography of the horseman with the spear overcoming evil was widespread throughout the Christian period. Unquote. William Caxton was a merchant, diplomat, and writer who is thought to have introduced the print- printing press to England. But St. George was demoted from the Catholic liturgical calendar in 1969 with over 90 others that were thought as more mystery than manuscript. But there is the belief that the real St. George was martyred in the early 300s AD as a Roman soldier who refused to renounce his Christian faith. Isn't Archangel Michael often portrayed as the dragon slayer? According to Wikipedia, Wikipedia, that portrayal is included in the Bible as follows. Quote, the book of Revelation describes a war in heaven between angels led by the Archangel Michael against those led by the dragon, identified as the devil or Satan, who are defeated and thrown down to the earth. Revelation's war in heaven is related to the idea of fallen angels, and possible parallels have been proposed in the Hebrew Bible and the Dead Sea Scrolls, unquote. So the European dragon can be a representation of evil or of Satan. Yes, the life science website reinforces that association. Quote, scholars believe that the fire-breathing element of dragons came from medieval depictions of the mouth of hell, for example, art by Hieronymus Bosch and others. The entrance to hell was often depicted as a monster's literal mouth with the flames and smoke characteristic of Hades belching out. If one believes not only in the literal existence of hell, but also the literal existence of dragons as satanic, the association is quite logical. Unquote. I think we should talk about the Chinese dragons. They seem to be much more positive. When did the dragon mythology start? The Thornhill Capital website provides an overview. Quote, no one knows for sure when dragons first became part of Chinese culture, but we know that the symbol of a dragon in China did appear as far back as 5000 BC. In fact, as far back as 3000 BC, when ancient Chinese would excavate a dinosaur bone, they would refer to their discovery as dragon bones. But the image of a dragon is primarily thought to have originated from the totems of different ancient tribes in China. A totem is an object or symbol which represents an animal or plant. It also serves as the emblem of a group or tribe. It was common in ancient China when tribes merged to also merge their emblems. Subsequently, the image of a dragon eventually evolved from the combining of tribal totems into the mystical creature we see today. The image itself is a compilation of many creatures. For example, start with an elongated snake body, make it huge, cover it with carp scales and deer horns, bull's ears, a goat's beard, hawk's claws, a tiger's soul, and demon eyes. But I think that will have to go into the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue after the short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. skeptic or a believer join me rob mcconnell as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the exxon radio tv show on xzbn and the exxon tv channel on simul tv since 1990 the exxon radio tv show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard together we'll investigate ufos aliens ghosts bigfoot psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, 
haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by shaman worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, Dad, you were quoting about Chinese dragons and where the mythology started from, from the Thornhill Capital website. So can you please continue with your quote? Yes, we were talking about demon eyes, but I'll continue. There are variations, of course, but you can easily see how the incorporation of totems from various ancient tribes would account for the general image of the dragon we see today. Combine that image with folklore, and you have the historical thread for the Chinese dragon, unquote. I would think that if you found a fossil of a dinosaur bird, you might believe it could have been some from some sort of dragon. But can you provide more detail on how these creatures are portrayed in contemporary culture? Yes, the China Highlights website provides a good overview as follows, quote, Chinese dragons are powerful and benevolent symbols in Chinese culture, who's supposed to control over watery phenomena, e.g. summoning rain during a drought. Dragons are everywhere in China, in legends, festivals, astrology, art, names, and idioms. Dragons are seen as lucky and good, quite different to the evil, dangerous, fire-breathing dragons of most Western stories. The article continues with some quick facts. Chinese dragons don't exist factually. There is no evidence to prove that they are real creatures. The dragon is one of the 12 Chinese zodiac signs. Emperors in ancient China were identified as the sons of dragons, and at the time, ordinary people were not allowed to have items with pictures of dragons on them. Chinese dragons are symbolic of being lucky, propitious, powerful, and noble, not as monsters as they are portrayed in Western stories. Most dragons, most dragons' pictures have long bodies like snakes and sharp claws like hawks less like dinosaurs than Western dragons. Chinese dragons live at the bottom of seas, rivers, lakes, or anywhere with water, unquote. Apparently, people born in the year of dragon are powerful, kind-hearted, successful, innovative, brave, healthy, courageous, and enterprising. With that, I think we'll have to move on to the unicorn. Wikipedia provides a description as follows, 
quote, the unicorn is a legendary creature that has been described since antiquity as a beast with a single large pointed spiraling horn projecting from its forehead. The unicorn was depicted in ancient seals of the Indus Valley civilization and was mentioned by the ancient Greeks in accounts of natural history by various writers, including Theseus, Strabo, Pliny the Younger, and Elian. The Bible also describes an animal, the ram, which some versions translate as unicorn. In European folklore, the unicorn is often depicted as a white horse-like or goat-like animal with a long horn and cloven hooves. In the Middle Ages and Renaissance, it was commonly described as an extremely wild woodland creature, a symbol of purity and grace which could, uh, could be captured only by a virgin. In the encyclopedias, its horn was said to have the power to render poison water potable and to heal sickness. In medieval and re Renaissance times, the tusk of the narwhal was sometimes sold as unicorn horn, unquote. A narwhal is a type of whale with a long tusk. I haven't heard of anyone claiming to have found a unicorn fossil, but I wonder if there was a living animal that the unicorn was based on. According to the National Geographical Society website, uh, that is rather put to an end uh, of a, as a discussion. Quote, in 1825, celebrated French naturalist Georges Cuvier claimed that the unicorn was a physical impossibility. He maintained that the unicorn was cloven hoofs, so therefore it must, be, it must have a cloven skull, making the growth of a single horn on its forehead impossible. Unquote. But what does the unicorn symbolize today? In coats of arms, it represents the country of Scotland. April the 9th is National Unicorn Day in Scotland, but there is other unicorn symbolism. According to the Unicorns Rural website, they represent feminine energy as follows, and I quote, Unicorns have also been a representation of the moon. This is another clear indication of their association to feminine energy. The association to feminine yin energy is also evident in the mysterious, intuitive, and magical characteristics ascribed to the unicorn. The feminine nature of the unicorn is so common throughout different cultures that it is often considered to be a valid archetype or universal energy pattern, unquote. While we're on the subject of creatures with hooves, let's talk about the centaur. Here's a quote from the Greek myth, Greek mythology website, quote, the centaurs in Greek mythology were a particular tribe that stood out from anything else known in history. The centaurs were a usual theme in the arts and were usually depicted to have the head, torso, and arms of a man, and the rest of their body belonged to the horse species. But the centaurs were so popular because they were totally unpredictable and wild. They were good and bad ones. Some of them would be often drunk and violent, eating raw flesh and drinking too much wine. They were usually followers of the god Dionysus, who also wanted drunken, festive followers and servants. Since they were savages, they used to live far away from people, creating their own colonies, unquote. Dionysus was the Greek god of wine, winemaking, great cultivation, fertility, ritual madness, theater, and religious ecstasy. That's quite a list. How did centers originate in Greek mythology? The ancient Sorry, the website ancient.eu provides an explanation. The quote, the father of the race of centaurs was Centaurus, himself the offspring of Ixion, who had made love to Hera, or more precisely, a cloud made by a jealous Zeus to resemble Hera. The centaurs were believed to live in the forests of Thessaly, beyond the laws of man. These mythical creatures may actually have had a basis in reality, as there was a tradition in Thessaly of hunting bulls on horseback, and the very word centaur may have originally meant bull killer. Perhaps the horsemen of Thessaly were so skilled that they seemed at one with their horse, and so the myth of a single creature was born. Unquote. Ixion was the king of the Lapis, the most ancient tribe of Thessaly. Hera was the goddess of women, marriage, family, and childbirth. Zeus was Hera's husband and king of the Greek gods. Thessaly is part of modern Greece, which includes the location of ancient Thessaly. But I think it's time for another horse-like creature, the Pegasus, the white horse with wings. 
I have heard stories of ancient Greek and Roman gods being based on extraterrestrial beings. I wonder if any of these creatures are based on extraterrestrial beings as well. A winged horse would provide a fantastic means of transport. So I wonder if it's based on anything that existed from another place or where it even came from. The story of Pegasus is rather convoluted as described by the Mythical Creatures and Beasts website. Quote, Pegasus is a very popular and magnificent winged horse. He is usually described as being white in color. He was born along with his brother, Chrysaor, from droplets of blood that would drip from Medusa's severed head when she was decapitated by the mighty Perseus. Perseus rode this beautiful mythical creature while returning home from his victorious battle over the Gorgon. On his trip back, he came across Andromeda, who was chained by the sea, awaiting her fate as a sacrifice to the dreadful sea creature, Cetus. As Cetus came for his maiden, Perseus held up Medusa's severed head and turned the sea serpent into stone. He was then able to free Andromeda from her bindings and rescue her. Famous Greek hero Bellerophon captured this divine horse near the fountain Pyrene with the help of Poseidon and Athena, unquote. Well, when Andromeda's mother claimed she was more beautiful than female spirits of the sea, Poseidon, the god of the sea, sent the sea monster Cetus to ravage Andromeda as divine punishment. Medusa was a creature called a gorgon who had snakes for hair and would turn anyone to stone who looked at her. Perseus was a demigod, a son of Zeus. Bellerophon was another demigod, being one of Poseidon's sons. Athena was a goddess associated with wisdom, handicraft, and warfare. The Pyrene Fountain, one of Pegasus' favorite water holes, was located near Corinth, a city in ancient Greece. What happened next, and what did Pegasus symbolize? Pegasus held Bellerophon with heroic deeds, but Zeus had become angry with Bellerophon. Long story short, Pegasus reaches Mount Olympus, the home of the gods with Bellerophon, as arranged by Zeus. For his loyalty, Zeus turns him into a constellation. The New World Encyclopedia offers the following to describe the symbolism. Quote, The symbolism of Pegasus, the hoof master of the ground and wing master of the air, continues to represent speed, strength, and artistic inspiration. Encompassing beauty and a sense of majesty, it is a guide for humankind beyond the physical world to the realm where the spirit can soar without limit. Unquote. We have time for one more mythical creature, so let's describe the phoenix, famous for being reborn from its own ashes. The Mythical Realm website provides an overview as follows. Quote, the phoenix is a long-lived fiery bird that is present in many different mythologies from around the world, from cultures both alive and those that are long lost in the dust of time. The mythical bird never lays, lay, lays eggs to have its own young. It is said to live anywhere from 500 to 1400 years before it goes up in flames. When a phoenix dies, it does so by combustion as, and is reborn of the ashes left behind. I think with that, we'll have to go into the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue after this break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. here and they've been here for thousands of years making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? 
The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist Facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgod. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. At Amen.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were discussing the Phoenix. And, Dad, you were quoting from the Mythical Realm website. Yes, I'll continue. The Phoenix, or it rises from its own ashes in the freshness of youth to live through another cycle of years. So, in a sense, it never truly dies, but regenerates itself and lives forever. Unquote. What is the origin of the Phoenix? The phoenix appears in a number of different cultures. The New World Encyclopedia describes its origin in ancient Egypt as follows. Quote, the earliest representation of the phoenix is found in the ancient Egyptian Benu bird, the name relating to the verb weben, meaning to rise brilliantly or to shine. Some researchers believe that a now extinct large heron was a possible real-life inspiration for the Benu bird. However, since the Benue, like all the other versions of the Phoenix, is primarily a symbolic icon, the many mythical sources of the Benue is in ancient Egyptian culture reveal more about the civilization than the existence of a real bird. One version of the myth says that the Benue bird burst forth from the heart of Osiris. In the more prevalent myth, the Benue created itself from a fire that was burned on a holy tree in one of the sacred precincts of the Temple of Ra. The Benu was supposed to have rested on a sacred pillar that was known as the Benben Stone. At the end of its life cycle, the phoenix would build itself a nest of cinnamon twigs that it then ignited. Both nest and bird burned fiercely, and it would be reduced to ashes, from which a new young phoenix arose. The new phoenix embalmed the ashes of the old phoenix in an egg made of myrrh and deposited it in the Egyptian city of Heliopolis. Unquote. Osiris was the Egyptian lord or god of the underworld and judge of the dead, while Ra was the Egyptian god of the sun. What is the symbolism of the phoenix? I think it can be described by the city of Phoenix, Arizona in the United States, which got its name from a frontier station settled on the ruins of a Native American site. The first European inhabitants used the idea that from the ruins of one city, another could be created. For the ancient Egyptians, apparently the phoenix reflected belief in life after death and the seasonal rising and falling of the Nile. Other cultures would have other symbolism. With that, could you ask the first question? Where did the idea come from of the European dragon being an evil creature, typically combining a snake's body, bat-like wings, etc., 
and the ability to breathe fire. Basically, it came from old mythology, so different urban legends and myths that were passed down from generation to generation. So it's thought that this creature may live since it was based on, as you said, snakes, lizards, etc. So it's something that people created out of fear and wonder. Why are dragons included in the folklore and mythology of many European countries? Basically, since it was passed along. So back in those days, there weren't books as we have now. So the different legends were passed from one generation to the next, and it spread very quickly. So the most interesting stories are still the most popular, since talking about a mystical creature is still very interesting, especially for children. Why are European dragons associated with hoarding treasure? Since they ne there needed to be a reason why the dragons exist, so that gave the dragons the reason why they would need to be as powerful and as scary as they are. So the treasure is meant to be something that would be what people compete with the dragon for. In European folk tales, why does dragon's blood often contain unique powers, keeping them living for longer and giving them poisonous or acidic properties? Basically, the idea that humans are mortal, and it's interesting that humans like to give other creatures these more immortal powers, and this makes it seem like they're a lot more powerful, since obviously humans do not have these magical powers. So basically makes the stories more interesting. In European heraldry, why does the dragon represent a valiant defender of treasure, also valor and protection, when otherwise dragons are considered to be evil? Basically, any creature can be considered good or evil, depending on the story you hear. There are positive dragons, too. Even in children's shows, for example, the dragons are good dragons. So it is just whoever wants to portray the creature as something good or something bad. And humans try to exemplify the negative qualities of creatures sometimes to make them be worse or more evil than they should be. Is it because of heraldry that the boundaries of the city of London have statues of dragons at its borders? That could be said, yes. What is the origin of one story of George and a dragon where the king's daughter was saved by St. George with the people being converted to Christianity ending with the now domesticated dragon being killed. Basically, the origin is just a story made up by a few people. So people came together almost as telling ghost stories around a campfire, but instead telling dragon stories. So it's just something that people basically made up in their free time. Why is there an alternative version of the story that George actually killed the dragon to save the princess? Basically, again, it's like the game of telephone, where people adapt the story depending on who hears it. So there are a lot of different alternative endings that are quite popular. Why was Ascalon the name of Saint? Ge Sorry, I'll start again. Why was Ascalon the name of Saint George's Lance used by Winston Churchill to name his personal aircraft during World War Two? He just liked the name. Why is the princess rescued by Saint George? held to represent the Kingdom of Sweden, while the dragon represents an invading army, symbolized by several sculptors of St. George battling with a dragon located in the capital city of Stockholm. Basically, just turning a story into something more political. So it's just what people turned it into, with all the political events going on, to make this story into something that was more relevant for the times. Is the legend of St. George more mystery than manuscript, leading to St. George being demoted from the Catholic liturgical calendar in 1969? That could be said in a way, yes. Was the real St. George martyred in the early 300s AD as a Roman soldier who refused to renounce his Christian faith? Yes. Why was the real St. George confused with the mythical St. George? Since the mythical story is a lot more popular, so many people know the mythical story and not what actually happened. Why does the book of Revelation describe a war in heaven between, the, uh, between angels led by Archangel Michael against those led by the dragon, identified as the devil or Satan? Basically just personification of the different characters. So in some people's minds, the evil is associated with the dragon and the new revelations. But again, it's tricky since that's what some people believe. But other people believe that dragons are actually good creatures. 
So dragons have kind of got a bad name for themselves without actually doing anything bad. Did the fire-breathing element of dragons come from medieval depictions of the mouth of hell, with the entrance to hell often portrayed as a monster's mouth with flames and smoke belching out? Yes, when dragons are considered more evil, that's where the whole idea of fire and the fire hell went into the concepts of dragons. Why would Chinese people proudly claim that they were the, they are the descendants of the dragon? Since the dragons for them show something powerful, something brave, something more majestic. So dragons hold this more, you could say, a powerful role, where if you are descended from the dragon, you are also powerful, strong, all the qualities that a dragon holds. So there's a strength that the dragon have that people really admire. Did the image of a dragon originate from combining the totems of different tribes in ancient China? Yes. Why would the ancient Chinese associate dinosaur bones with dragons? Since dragons would be large creatures, and dinosaurs were obviously large reptiles too. So some of the different dinosaurs that lived. If you get rid of the whole fire-breathing aspect, they look quite similar. Why are Chinese dragons perceived as lucky and good? while European dragons are typically seen as evil. Again, who the people who are talking about them are. So it's basically two sides of the same coin, where some people believe they're good, some people believe they're bad, and that is just their perspective on it. Why is the dragon one of the 12 Chinese zodiac signs? Basically, it was chosen, so a group of people just decided to choose which different symbols would go with the zodiac. Why were emperors in ancient China identified as the sons of dragons, while the common people were not allowed to have items with pictures of dragons on them? Again, the powerfulness. So dragons were not to be messed with, just as royalty were not to be messed with either. So it signified their power over the other people, and it signified their strength in a way that they were protecting the treasure of their own dynasty. Why are Chinese dragons while not being thought of as real creatures, Thought, as, thought of as living at the bottom of seas, river, lakes, or anywhere with water. Basically, that's just what some people believe. So again, it's legends that have been passed down. Are people who are born in the year of the dragon powerful, kind-hearted, successful, innovative, brave, healthy, courageous, and enterprising? Obviously not all of them, but it is thought of that a lot of them are, yes. Changing the subject to the unicorn, why were they mentioned by the ancient Greeks in accounts of natural history by various writers, including Theseus, Strabo, Pliny the Younger, and Elian? Basically, some people did think that they were true, and they thought that they actually saw themselves. I think we have to go into the next break before the next question. Yes, we'll continue after the break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. 
You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we are going through the questions and the psychic insight about mythical creatures. And we are just talking about unicorns. So, Dad, can you please continue? Thank you, Justina. Why in European folklore, folklore is unicorn horn said to have the power to render poisoned water potable and to heal sickness? Basically, the magical qualities that the people think unicorns possess. So they're seen as this very good creature that has all these different magical properties. Is celebrated French naturalist Georges Cuvier correct in claiming that the unicorn is a physical impossibility? Nothing really is a physical impossibility since anything can be created. So that's not exactly true, no. In heraldry, why does the unicorn represent the country of Scotland? Again, some people who decided that's what it would represent. Why have unicorns long been a representation of the moon? Since they're magical in a lot of ancient times, when unicorns were thought of something untouchable, just as for a long time people thought that the moon was untouchable. Why does the unicorn have an association to feminine yin energy evident in the mysterious, intuitive, and magical characteristics ascribed to it. Just again, what properties people decided to give the unicorn. So a unicorn doesn't necessarily have to be feminine or masculine. The unicorn is just a creature that could be either. Is there any basis in fact at all for the unicorn? There are different animals that existed a long time ago, yes. So there were different animals that people would probably not recognize today. However, the more magical properties that people think unicorns have, have no real basis. So it's entirely possible that there was an animal that did have a horn, did look more like a horse. But to be able to have these strange magical powers, that is not true. Changing subject to centaurs, why were they believed to follow to be followers of Dionysus, the Greek god of wine, winemaking, grape cultivation, etc.? Basically, that's just how the stories were passed down. So they got grouped in with him. Why were centaurs considered to be savages, living far away from people and creating their own colonies? Since they looked different and they acted different than the other people. So they basically were feeling exiled. So they had their own way of doing things, which normal people really didn't agree with. Plus the whole concept of that, they looked extremely different. 
Did centaurs have any basis in fact as the horsemen of Thessaly, who being so skilled that they seemed at one with their horse? That could be said, yes. Changing subject to Pegasus, is there any basis in fact in the convoluted mythology of the winged horse being born from drops of, droplets of blood that drip from Medusa's severed head? That's basically what the mythology believes, yes, so it's a very elaborate story. Is there any basis in fact in Andromeda being chained up by the sea, waiting her fate as a sacrifice to the dreadful sea creature Cetus? Again, a story, but there are some facts mixed in, but overall, no. Is there any basis in fact of Zeus turning Pegasus into a constellation? No. Is there any truth behind the symbolism of Pegasus as a guide for humankind beyond the physical world to the realm where the spirit can soar without limits? That could be said. So there could be a representation of Pegasus signifying something magical that could go in between realms, you could say. Changing subjects to the phoenix, why is the phoenix present in many different mythologies from around the world? Again, stories that were passed on. In different cultures and different parts of the world sometimes will create very similar stories, which is interesting since it shows how different humans can kind of think of the same thing, even though they are in different parts of the world. Is there any basis in fact behind the legend of the mythical bird that never lays eggs and can live anywhere from 500 to 1400 years before it goes up in flames? The only fact is that there are different birds existing at one time. But the fact that it can live so for so long is not true, no. But none of these birds would go up in flames, right? No, they would have to die a so-called normal way. Is there any symbolism such as reincarnation in the phoenix, never truly dying but regenerating itself and living forever? Yes, quite a bit of symbolism, where even if someone passes on, they will eventually be reborn, since the whole concept of life and death is just one big cycle. Is the earliest representation of Phoenix found in the ancient venue bird? Yes, that could be said. Is there any basis in the myth that the venue bird burst forth from the heart of Osiris? No. How could a similar myth occur in different ancient cultures around the world when different people lived in isolation. Since there were other birds existing at the time, so their mythology was based on birds they actually saw, but again they expounded on what the birds were actually capable of. For the ancient Egyptians, did the phoenix represent the seasonal rising and falling of the Nile, along with the belief that the Nile was a living entity? Yes. What can we learn from mythical creatures? That these stories are quite fun, and depending on the perspective, a creature can be something that is really good or really bad. So, for example, dragons have got this reputation that they are these horrible creatures. However, there are so many different TV shows, different books, different mythology, where dragons are actually worshipped and look up, looked up upon instead of down upon. So there's always this concept that humans will create something as bad or good, and it really comes from their perspective. But what else can be learned is that not everything is known about the Earth's past, so there are plenty of creatures to be discovered. However, sometimes people like to frown upon what these creatures were actually capable of. That was the last answer. Are plenty of creatures to be discovered too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Okay, the takeaway for me is that the symbolism associated with a mythical creature is probably the most important aspect. Yes, there didn't seem to be any basis in fact for any of the mythical creatures we discussed, but there are reptiles that are living dinosaurs that are called dragons. There's a very long list of mythical creatures. We only scratched the surface. In retrospect, we mentioned three horse-like creatures, unicorn centaurs and centaurs and pegasus. I suppose that reflects how much mankind has depended on horses over the centuries. But the idea was to go with the mythological creatures that most people would have probably have heard of. We only mentioned Greek mythology as background, but you managed to include ancient Egypt, which we have talked about quite a lot in other episodes. Yes, an episode on Greek, Roman, or other mythology could be in our future. 
you mentioned a theory that the mythology of Greek and Roman gods could have been based on extraterrestrials living on Earth. Famous author Eric von Daniken, who wrote the book Chariots of the Gods, also wrote a book entitled Odyssey of the Gods, the Alien, of Anci- the Alien History of Ancient Greece in 2002. So at least one author thinks that the gods worshipped by ancient Greeks were actually extraterrestrials. Yes, it gets really interesting pretty quick because there are demigods in Greek mythology which are the offspring of gods and mortals. Hercules was a son of Zeus while his mother, Alakami, was Zeus disguising himself as her husband. I guess Greek gods could get away with anything they wanted to, but the most important takeaway for me was that apparently there are still plenty of creatures still to be discovered from Earth's past. I'd have to believe that there would have to be a jump in technology as paleontology seems to include dedicated experts basically only using hand tools to make their discoveries. It would be great if some new fossils were suddenly found that would enlarge upon humankind's understanding of prehistory. I think that leads into asking the listeners to contact us with suggestions for upcoming episodes. We have several episodes in the works, but there are, but, uh, but of course... We're always open to listener suggestions. Yes, and if any of the listeners want to contact us, you can go to our Facebook page at Too Good To Be True with our first T spelled T-W-O or go to our website, TooGoodToBeTrue.net and you can contact us on there for any future episodes, any comments on today's episode, if you want to hear more about Greek and Roman mythology, if you have some type of idea off of the stories we mentioned, or even something off of the creatures we mentioned. Yes, and if you want to hear more about ancient uh, Egypt, um, somehow we always end up going back there. Uh, that that would be another suggestion. We, we There's so much to cover in uh, ancient uh, civilizations, and uh, I guess it's hard to group all the information. But uh, what else do you think we should say today, Justina? I think one takeaway that we really haven't mentioned from this episode is that there's these different creatures that symbolize different things, but the one really that I was most interested in in this episode was unicorns. And I think my biggest takeaway from the psychic insight is that some creatures are associated with feminine energy, but that doesn't necessarily, they have to be feminine. So some of these creatures are actually in the media for children, for adolescents. And it's very important to emphasize that yes, these creatures may not be true, but they represent all these different core values. So I think that goes back to dragons too, is that they're in a lot of children children's different shows and everything and they represent something very positive yes there's all sorts of nice dragons and not all bad ones uh, i was a little bit surprised that the unicorn was a symbol of scotland uh, i kind of seen it in the past but it never really registered that it was a unicorn so that was a surprise well as always thank you so much the listeners and we look forward to next week's show here and they've been here for thousands of years making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? 
The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is TV. TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. 